This week on the Gift of Gaming podcast, with the release of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth on the horizon, I'll be doing a retrospective on Final Fantasy and Square Enix. With Final Fantasy VII Rebirth being the Game Awards' most anticipated game of 2024, where exactly did this publisher begin? This is a remake of Final Fantasy VII. So what was Final Fantasy I? What's up, everybody? It's me, your host, Darren Wade, and today I am joined by absolutely no one. In the words of the great Jason Derulo, I am riding solo today. But worry not, we're talking about one of my favorite publishers and video game franchises of all time, so I should be okay on my Tobron. I've always wanted to do kind of like a solid replay of all the Final Fantasy games, having played through many of the older games and even finishing the likes of Final Fantasy 2, 3, 4, and even 6. Um, after playing OG7 uh, back in the 90s, I've always been keen on kind of like a, a completion uh, of the series as a whole, um, Platinums and all, if I, if I was ever uh, daring enough. Uh, there have been a few remasters over the years, uh, the most notable for me being Final Fantasy IV, which was remade on the Nintendo DS back in 2007, but kind of, um, I would say kind of crappy uh, redesigns of, of the sprites, like the character sprites, the kind of 3D models, but too cutesy for me to be able to enjoy it in the way um, that I wanted, but up until recently, there's never been a concrete uh, box set of the old original Final Fantasies. Uh, but thankfully, back in June of 2021, Square Enix released the pixel remaster of Final Fantasy 1 through to Final Fantasy 6, and I finally decided to pick it up and delve into them while I was sick um, for a week or two there back in January. And where better to start than the beginning, of course, with Final Fantasy 1. So before I get into the game itself, though, uh, let's visit a fun few facts. Shout out to thegamer.com for a few of these. Um, so like when we're looking at Final Fantasy 1, the very beginning, um, interesting facts about it. Before and during its release back in December 18th, 1987, uh, Square Soft, as it was known back then, was far from the industry titan that it is today. In fact, it was on the verge of going under in the mid-1980s. And had Final Fantasy, the original, not had such successful sales numbers, the games would have been been the company's swan song. Fortunately, the game's success put Square Enix back on track, setting its upward trajectory. If Final Fantasy was a commercial disappointment, Square might have closed its doors then and there forever, altering the gaming landscape. I just imagine that for a moment. I mean, <clears throat> when I was reading this, I kind of, it was a fact I knew from uh, a long time ago, I think it was, you know, oh, the, it was called Final Fantasy because it was going to be their last game. You know, that was kind of uh, one of them rumors that went around the playground for a while. Um, but just imagine had they closed their doors then. Square Enix, Square Enix like, ceased to exist. Would have had no Final Fantasy VII, which you know is, was a game that changed the gaming landscape for a long time. Um, had the, you know, the death of one of the most famous video game deaths of all time. That would never ex have existed. There would have been no Disney Square Enix crossover uh, bringing Kingdom Hearts to life, which for me was a, a game franchise that had a profound effect uh, on me while I was growing up and, and kind of really allowed me to fall in love with video games. That wouldn't have existed. There would have been no Dragon Quest, Star Oceans, no Super Mario RPG, no Nier, Autonomous Games, and no Bravely Default. And like no Final Fantasy franchise at all. And we're currently sitting on Final Fantasy 16 as the most recent, uh, recent release. So it's a big deal that they actually made it through. We would have been missing. There would have been a gaping hole in the video game landscape, at least for me personally, as we know it today. Um, the title of the game and franchise comes from several places. The most well-known reason is Square, Square's financial straits, uh, meaning this title would be their last if it didn't succeed. Uh, the second meaning was the franchise creator, uh, Segaguchi, making the game as a last-ditch effort to stay in the industry. If Final Fantasy didn't win people's hearts and wallets, he would have had to quit his job and go back to school. 
The last and most pragmatic reason uh, was uh, Segaguchi wanting a title with a nice alliterative ring that could be abbreviated as FF. According to Segaguchi, the latter was more important in deciding the title than the meaning behind the word final. So some more facts on um, Final Fantasy 1. Simultaneous international releases are commonplace these days. Most games are kind of released worldwide on the same day um, with the internet connecting the world so efficiently. And it only makes sense that the hottest releases really um, reach everybody at the same time. But that was an entirely different story back in the 80s. Um, this game first came out back in, J in Japan in December of 1987. And only after it became a hit in its native land did Nintendo of America translate it for Western audiences in 1990. That's right, Americans had to wait three years to get their hands on the classic Final Fantasy game. Well, three years is a long time to wait for a game. It is nothing compared to what Europeans endured. Uh, the PAL regions didn't see an official release until 2003, when it came out on the PS1 as Final Fantasy Origins. This was a compilation of, I think, Final Fantasy 1 and Final Fantasy 2 on a, on a single disc for the PS1. So for Americans, though, it wasn't difficult because the series didn't have its legendary reputation by the time it reached them a couple of years after its initial release. But for European fans... We weren't able to experience the origins of Final Fantasy for, you know, I mean, if you think, let's say you take its most famous one, the one that got me into gaming was Final Fantasy VII, released in 1997. I wouldn't have been able to enjoy the origins of the Final Fantasy franchise up until 2003, six years later. <clears throat> Another interesting fact about Final Fantasy, which was one that I um, came across uh, while I was playing the game. Um, like, like games are known to throw shade at competing franchises sometimes, but it's all in good fun. And depending on the version of Final Fantasy 1, um, there's a particular jab that either targets The Legend of Zelda or Dragon Quest. Um, there's a town in Final Fantasy 1 called Elfheim, and there's a gravestone by a house in that town that reads, and I quote, Here lies Link, or in some other versions, quote, Here lies Erdrick. Uh, all Japanese versions carry the former, while the Dragon Quest nod is in the original NES version and in Final Fantasy Origins on the PS1 as well. Uh, later versions also have the Link reference in the English translation, uh, and regardless of being who is called out, it's a pretty bold statement for a premier title in a franchise to make. And it was interesting, when I played through this on the Pixar remaster, which is the version of Final Fantasy 1 that I played, it had the Here Lies Link, and I was just... It wasn't that I knew it was there, I was just kind of pottering about, and I was kind of going for a platinum run, so I was interacting with everything that I came across, and up until this point, every gravestone had a, you know, it's an, it's an old gravestone would be your, your text box that would have appeared up. Uh, but in this case, it was a, yeah, I came across this Here Lies Link, and a pretty bold statement for, you know, the late 1980s, and what was a last-ditch effort for Square Enix to survive, essentially, that they'd take a dig thinking that this game would have been the usurper to the likes of The Legend of Zelda. And at that time, I think Legend of Zelda may have had one, maybe two games out by the early 1990s. And, uh, I mean, successful enough. And you look at it now, and, and that's what I love about this back in the late 1980s, that they would have been throwing shade on the likes of Ze Legend of Zelda, and here we are, you know, 40, you know, j j just shy of 40 years later. Um Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, Breath of the Wild, Game of the Year contenders, fantastic games. People think they're absolutely amazing, some of the best games ever created. And then we look at the likes of where Final Fantasy is at the minute as well. Uh, Final Fantasy 16, very well received for the most part. And of course, the Final Fantasy 7 remake, one of the most hotly anticipated and awaited games uh, in the history of, I suppose, the industry. I don't think there's anybody or any group of fans who have waited or demanded um, a game in the way people have with the Final Fantasy VII remake ever in 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 the in the industry. Um, <clears throat> so another thing about Final Fantasy One is that it's often seen as the definitive 
or Final Fantasy as a whole, I suppose, is often seen as the definitive JRPG franchise. And this is kind of funny for two reasons. Firstly, Japan had um, RPGs like this, or before this, like Dragon Quest. And secondly, the game took a lot of cues from uh, its Western peers. Uh, Ko- um, I think the guy's name is Koazu, designed the battle system in Final Fantasy One, But he was fond of kind of more of the Western American games like Dungeons and Dragons, as well as Ultima. Um, he included elements from those games into Final Fantasy. So like the likes of Elemental Weakness, uh, we're not. This is not, wasn't the ordinary JRPG standard up until Final Fantasy One arrived in the late 1980s. Uh, this influence was also integral in letting players choose their party's classes at the beginning, and this is a, a part that I'll get into in kind of my review of the game as well. Was that this job, this class kind of system that came in? At least for me, when I kind of played through the old um, JRPGs, JRPGs was a real revolutionary kind of thing, a, a different um, flavor to old games such as this. Um, so another thing about Final Fantasy 1 when it first came out was that it wasn't foolproof. It was full of bugs and glitches, uh, most of which were addressed in later versions and in remasters and in the pixel remaster that I'm currently playing. So for example, several magic spells just didn't work. Uh, one spell that was meant to lower enemies' evasion stats actually increased the evasion stats. Weapons with elemental strengths and status effects usually just didn't work. And with this many bugs in it, it's a miracle that it actually was the success that it was. But keep in mind, had the internet existed back then, it's a game that I'm sure would have been absolutely slated. We look at you know, the battle system, which is where this game had most of its failings in terms of bugs. Final Fantasy 1, God, it's a huge percentage of the game was bugged. And I kind of look at that in the modern day style of things that I would have given out about. And I take Cyberpunk as a big example. It was a decent percentage of, the, of that game, certain aspects of that game that were bugged, that were hugely problematic bugs. And I slated that completely. From the older episodes of the podcast, I was like, no, no time for this game. This is this game is a joke. Shouldn't be releasing games like this right now. But in the 19, late 1980s, I suppose, without too many people to complain about it or maybe not even know these bugs existed, um, you got away with it. So another fun uh, little tidbit on the game was that Sagaguchi was intent on making an RPG, but Square was thoroughly against the idea at the time. Their reason for the refusal was them thinking it just wouldn't be successful. It's especially funny in hindsight because the game saved them from bankruptcy and, of course, led them on to have one of the most successful franchises in the video game industry through Final Fantasy. Um, After Dragon Quest became a hit, Square kind of changed their tune and allowed Sagaguchi to start development on the title and it just goes to show, I guess, that publishers don't always know what's in their best interest. But yeah, again, to, for some of these kind of facts and, and that, um, shout out to thegamer.com for all these little tidbits. Very much appreciated. So let's kind of, you know, break down the actual Final Fantasy itself. So from almost bankruptcy in the 1980s to being worth almost $4 billion today, Square Enix has kind of certainly come a long way and done a big U-turn. And it's with no small thanks to Final Fantasy for getting them there. And I don't mean the franchise. I just mean Final Fantasy 1, the game that essentially saved Square. Um, back in 1987. <clears throat> so I guess let's get down to the reason that we're actually here, which is my review on Final Fantasy 1, um, a game I revisited a couple of weeks ago in preparation and excitement for Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth. I kind of said to myself, I really want to go and explore the origins of this franchise and just to see, have a really cool grasp of the, the idea of what it came from to what it is today. So I guess in a nutshell, is this game worth playing in 2024? My answer is absolutely yes, but it has some caveats. If you're not a fan of, fan of playing retro games, if you're not into turn-based combat, and if you're someone who loves a challenge, then I can emphatically say that this is not the game for you. 
there is no challenge to this game. It is an old game, and it is turn-based combat, which isn't everybody's cup of tea. So for everyone else who, who doesn't mind those things, who enjoys those kind of things, it's worth a shot, and here's why. When I first picked up this Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster collection, or Final Fantasy 1, the first thing I kind of noticed was the aesthetic. Now, again, these kind of old-school, 2D, top-down um, JRPGs aren't everybody's kind of game but they really are for me and this pixel remaster I, i've seen a good few kind of playthroughs and videos and clips of the the original nes version of final fantasy one and uh it's a bit tough to look at it's a classically really old 80s game but this pixel remaster is quite nice in that it kind of holds the excuse me it holds the the vibe or the i suppose the character of the original game and just kind of bumps it up to be a little bit more easy on the eyes you know a modern day video game so for that reason, I kind of say, well, the remaster has done its job in that case. It's nice to look at. And it has its own, like I said, it still has its own vibe. It's got its own character. And it has that kind of, just that nostalgia for old games, for those kind of versions of games. It, it's, it's easy to look at. There's two options in the game as well. There is the, I suppose, the uh, modern and classic. The modern is kind of a, a revamped kind of font style as well, kind of cleaner cut lines and everything like that. And you can turn it to classic as well, which kind of gives you the more pixelated uh, speech boxes. Things aren't as smooth, which I actually preferred. I think the cleanliness and smoothness that you get in the modern option to play the game actually takes away from it a little bit. I don't think it serves the game properly. I think the game <clears throat> is what it is because it's that old, because it looks that way. And I think trying to kind of um, modernize that a little bit is you know, probably not the way, uh, not the way to go. Now, kind of looking on, I suppose, what you're going to spend a huge amount of time in this game looking at is your character sprites. You're going to spend a huge amount of time in battles. So how do these, how do your characters look and how do the, the monsters or the beasts in Final Fantasy 1 look? And I'm not going to lie, they look exactly like what you'd expect from a game made in 1987. Not fantastic, but its own kind of character. I suppose this is where I, I guess the if I were to put a real kind of a stamp on a con for for this game is that it's a it's a dreary kind of looking game you know you're when you get into battle it's a it's a painted background with these kind of very basic looking uh, pixel art old school pixel art um beasts and character sprites and as I said I I loved it I appreciated it for nostalgia I was expecting it to be like this but if you're not into the retro style, the old pixel art look, this is going to be a dreary, uh, dreary game. And animation-wise as well, I recently played through a good chunk of Sea of Stars, which is, I guess, the modern-day successor for these old top-down JRPG games. And the animations, the movement, um, the, the monsters and the uh, environments that you run through in the likes of Sea of Stars are phenomenally gorgeous. And... I can tell you right off the bat that Final Fantasy 1 is in is is not even close to that realm. It doesn't approach it. It's very old. This this is a remaster, not a remake of this game. So it's literally taken how the game played, how the game looked back in 1987 and kind of modernized it in terms of its looks, but how it plays is still the exact same. So in that sense, you're definitely going to be a little bit disappointed. It's a game made in the 1980s. You, you get what you pay for. Um, the next kind of aspect of the game that I was 
quite surprised by as an older person now who really appreciates music in games as a kid i never really noticed it so much but um you know we harp on especially when it comes to the final fantasy franchise how good the music was what's a cool thing about this game final fantasy one is that nabuo matsu who would do the music for final fantasies all the way up until i think 12 and then would come back to do the remake of um final fantasy 7 and did the final fantasy 7 advent children movie and um, he had parts with that as well he does the music for this game as well and the menu music this is the first iteration of what was the main theme for Final Fantasy the franchise was the menu music for this game and although it's from 1987 the game still has captured or Umatsu has captured uh, or such a such a great composition throughout the game all the music for all the areas although it's done on old synth um i mean is it is it even polyphonic monophonic i'm not quite sure but it's getting it's that old synth um music throughout but it's it's not that bad like of course umatsu is he's he's what 10 11 years away from creating the absolute masterpiece that is the soundtrack from final fantasy 7 but here he's still, and you can still see it or hear it, like the aspects of what make so many of his later games uh, so impressive musically. Some of that stuff is captured here, and that's been that was a nice bonus of playing through the game as well. Was that you know it's uh, you hear what ends up being the franchise's main theme. You hear its first iteration. You know when you're opening the menu, you're like, wow, this is what you know. This is where it began. Um, the battle themes in the game as well still hold that kind of a little bit of of that excitement that you get from. I mean, again, like, you know, talking about Final Fantasy 7 and, and, and 8 and 10 with the fantastic battle themes and 16 as well as an example, although Umatsu wasn't involved in 16, but they're great themes. They're exciting. They're, um, they get the, when you say get the blood pumping, you're not exactly going to talk about getting the blood pumping from a, a synth um, battle thing from a video game in the 1980s, but it's not that bad. And even in the villages, you know, in the world map and the, the villages that you go to, it, it captures an atmosphere. Uh, you go into each of these places, and you know there's one in particular. Um, it's quite later on. The, cre- the the people here don't speak a normal language. They're kind of like uh, a Final Fantasy One version of the ancients, let's say. But you go there, and the music has a real mystique um, about it that I was quite surprised was was even possible in a game in the 1980s. And something that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, I listened to it. Uh, I was playing this on the portal on the PlayStation Portal, which was fantastic, but I was in the room, still in the same room with the PS5, so I was able to throw on the, the PlayStation Pulse headphones as well and have a listen through. And it was just, like, again, I'm not saying I'm listening to to, to Beethoven uh, quality levels of, of, of music composition here, but it's good stuff. It's good stuff for the late 1980s, the battle music, boss music, um, the end game fight music, all quite impressive for the time. So, um. I mean, I've written down on my sheet here, like pros and cons for each aspect that I'm going to talk about. And, and the music part, I've just put down con, none, there is none, it's Nobu Matsu, so it's great. And it is. And again, take it with a pinch of salt, it's old, but it's it's good old. Kind of talking about the systems now in the game that kind of, I think this is where it has its failings, which is going to be, you know, this is, this is, it's not great to say, oh, all the systems in the game, that the things that make the gameplay loop are, are not all that enjoyable, and they're not really... I wouldn't say they're not really. They, they are just old. Again, it's a remaster, not a remake, so they've just kind of spruced up how this game looks, but it still plays the exact same way. So there's... um, The first system I want to go through is the, the job system. 
And if you've listened to the podcast before, if you've listened to me before, you know that one of my favorite games, and if I was ever to build a game myself, it would have to involve the the job system, the class system, that I think Final Fantasy kind of from two and three onwards right up until um, five and six really nailed down as a, as a really fun way to play um, video games. And then Square Enix kind of revisited the job system in, in the Bravely Default franchise as well, where they kind of made it, <clears throat> I think more of the modern Final Fantasy games have each character is, is, is assigned a certain job. And there's a variety there, but there's, there's a, you don't get to choose what character does what re- really. But in Bravely Default, they kind of bring that back to the basics that we have in Final, kind of Final Fantasy 1 and 2 and 3 where there's a job system in place there um, that's just a little bit a little bit of fun it's it's a, a way a step away from the basic okay here's your four characters they do this and you don't get anything to say now I'm not going to say it's revolutionary um, but you start the game with a choice of your four characters you don't get to name them uh, or sorry you do get to name them they have no names they're all kind of unknowns um, randoms uh, but you get to name them and you get to give them a job. There's six jobs to choose from, a warrior, a black mage, a white mage, a monk, a thief, and a red mage. You don't get to change once you've selected. You've got to keep those jobs throughout the game, but it adds, A, a, a different skin to your sprite, so you can kind of build your team based on on that, and B, just a different kind of way to play the game as well. Uh, I remember talking to Chris before I was telling him that I played through this, and we might have mentioned it on the podcast as well, was that, um, he was struggling to get through Final Fantasy at the time, so he just made, because did the strongest class, I think, he made four monk characters, just four monks to coach the entire game and wreck it that way. And it worked. Like I said, the game isn't a challenge. It's not The game is not a challenging game at all. It's a fairly easy, I would say you could probably do it less than 10 hours, uh, start to finish. Um, <clears throat> no, you know, no game over, no deaths. It'd be fairly handy. But I like the variety that this the job system brings into the game. It's a little bit different. Uh, I went for a warrior, a monk, a white mage, and a red mage. Um, And this is where, I guess, as fun as it is to have the choice, it's where the game kind of, again, the the cons kind of seep through a little bit. Because really, is there that much difference in terms of, now again, you know, you're talking your mages, their strength is going to be really low, they're not worth attacking, they can't equip strong weapons. But the likes of the red mage, was a fun thing. The Red Mage can use black and white magic throughout the game, but only low level. So when you get towards the end of the game and and you're fighting kind of in the last dungeon or two, or even before that, your Red Mage only has low level magic. White and black magic cannot use the later bits and bobs, but I suppose they are a stronger um, fighter than the likes of the white and the black mage. But for that reason, it was fun. I mean, you could go for the standard, you know, the the classic... um, I suppose that I think the standard was a monk, a warrior, a black and a white mage, which makes sense. But it is nice to have that level of creative or level of choice. It's not much, but again, it is a choice to get in the game, which is quite nice. Um, going to the battle system, again, this is a classic turn-based fighting game. Um, I'll make my attacks, you make your attacks, whoever has the highest speed goes first, and we repeat. So not exactly... Um, revolutionary i mean at the time you're talking about again uh late 80s game it's fantastic for its time i'd say it would have been very very entertaining but this is where the game is quite lackluster because the variety in what you can do in the turn-based isn't a whole lot i look at final fantasy 10 where you had characters who had all these different kinds of abilities um magic classes limits summons all that huge amount to choose from um right from the get-go almost but in this one it's kind of 
you've got I had two characters on my team that could use magic and apart from that all my guys were just hitting attack which can get fairly old fairly quickly uh, thankfully the remastered version of the game has a auto attack option which kind of improves the quality of life of the game where you press one button and your characters will repeat the moves that you last asked them to do but the whole game will speed up uh, which definitely helped my playthrough I don't know if I could have done it or stuck with it the way that I did if I couldn't have kind of fast forwarded through some of the the battle systems so again like it is it's a classic it's a random encounter uh you're running through your world map and you can get into countless uh you know fights and they're all turn-based it's a thing I love but I understand it's a thing that a lot of people hate so if it's uh turn-based combat is not for you then this is a uh, a massive con there's not a huge amount of, of variety available here a- an interesting thing about the game as well that i was surprised at um but quite enjoyed was the was the traversal i mean traditionally Final fantasy games have always had an airship to travel around the world map in towards the latter part of the game so you can visit everywhere and Final fantasy one is no exception in fact it was the the birther of the idea that you have an airship to fly around in. But what was interesting is as I went through the game and, and much like I think I was playing through Seven there recently and you get new vehicles and chocobos and things like that that help you traverse certain sections of the world map until you can get the high wind at the end, near the end of Final Fantasy Seven, and then traverse the whole um, world map at your leisure. This game had kind of something similar on a much smaller scale is that you're given a, uh, a canoe um, by someone early on in the game that can help you traverse certain rivers which will help you get to certain areas to to destroy crystals and um then later on in the game you get a, an airship and to go around but i was surprised by that i wasn't expecting that i was expecting me to just walk around the, the world map the entire time and there to me maybe an airship later on in the game and that would be how i'd get around so that was an interesting little bit as well 1987 still a lot of you know that world map traversal would have been quite exciting i'd say at the time to have oh to, to, to walk around and say oh there's a river here but thankfully i got that canoe off this guy and and off i can go so that was another little bit that i'd say hey hats off very impressive uh, a game in 2024 i mean it was <clears throat> it was fine it was fine you know it didn't blow me away but it was a nice surprise that it had uh, that kind of level of traversal in it i wasn't expecting it but I want to kind of go on to, I suppose, the biggest gripe that I had with the game. Um, based off talking about the canoe, this game is an old game. And I think anybody who's played like old games from the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, games were hard back then. There was no hand-holding. There was no guides. There was no internet cues and to, 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 to say, hey, here's an article of how to um, get this. Here's an article of how to breed your chocobo to get the golden chocobo. That, that didn't exist back when this game came out. And lucky for me, I had the internet. I was able to, to breeze through this game, but there were certain aspects of it that I was like, how on earth are you meant to finish this game? And this is where the con comes in because it's not its not a fluid game um, and how you progress throughout the game is based entirely off just talking to a random NPC for no other reason than because you've decided to talk to them. So the canoe, for example, I think at the start of the game, there is, in the first village that you're in, there's a group of wizards who explain um, stats to you and explain the weapons to you and explain how the game works. Each one kind of talks to you about a different aspect of the game. You have to come back to them later on and talk to one of them. And it's not even the the, the, the main-looking guy. It's a, it's a random guy off to the right. And he just gives you the canoe for the rest of your adventure. Nobody tells you to talk to that guy to get that. But you have to have that to continue on the game. And if not for the fact that I wandered around for 20 minutes playing, be like, well, how do, where do I where do I go next? 
that had to go into the internet find out talk to this guy get the canoe hit the river off you go to the fire um crystal cavern and i kind of thought jesus and it is a thing that i played through years ago i never finished it but years ago i played through final fantasy one on the game boy advanced version of the game and I gave up solely for this reason. That I didn't have the patience to go and talk to every NPC in every village to find out where I needed to go. And I left the game for a while, came back to it a couple of months later, a couple of weeks later maybe at the time, and tried to play through it and had no idea where I was. And, you know, the, I think at the start of the game they say, oh, talk to this lady at the fa- water fountain. She'll always, she'll be able to tell you what to do next in your journey. And she does that for the first, I would say, hour of the game. And after that she just says, hey, I don't know what to tell you. So there is no... There's no easy, linear way to go to finish this game unless you know what to do. The the only other option is to talk to everybody in every town that you go to twice in order to make sure that you get something off someone or someone gives you that tidbit of information that allows you to move forward with the game. And if you were to put that in a modern-day game today, maybe some people would appreciate it, the fact that you're not being... um, handheld throughout this game maybe people will appreciate but in a game like this that's this old that it was one that i was just looking forward to kind of you know plowing through and just experiencing this old game um i would have said hey this is not this is not fun this is not what i want to be playing right now maybe some people do enjoy that but for me absolutely not um and that kind of happened throughout do you know what i mean i think for it to, to unlock the airship or to go to a certain tower you have to walk over a certain square on the world map on a certain desert somewhere and unless you're paying a huge amount of attention it doesn't stick out at all <clears throat> to you so how on earth <clears throat> and it's not um <clears throat> it's not even in between like a two towns you have to fly to it in the airship and hope that it you know land there and then just walk across it and and then hope that it it, it awakens this tower and and if you didn't know to do that i have no idea apart from walking across and talking to every single pixel in this game how you're going to get there and i think that's a massive um problem with the game in modern day i'm sure you know people playing a game like this um it might have been the only really decent game that had come out that year possibly so people would be able to spend a whole lot of time to it but if you brought out a game like that today for me personally it would be a massive frustration to have to spend that kind of time going into that detail speaking to all these npcs without there being a clear perspective on where it is i meant to go next so that was one of my biggest cons with the game um, again, anybody who listens to me on the podcast knows that one of my favorite things about video games is the um, the narrative. I play games now mostly for the for the story. I don't not that I don't care for. I love multiplayer games, of course I do. I think they're a hell of a lot of fun. But the single player narrative driven games are it's where I'm at. It's what I love to play. It's why I'm so excited for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. It's why I love the Horizon series, um, Last of Us, those kind of games. Just a big story. Off we go. And this, you know, Final Fantasy 1, again, I wasn't expecting much, considering how old the game is. And it didn't really deliver a whole lot, but it has this kind of aspect of, narratively, it's 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 the classic Final Fantasy trope. I mean, it's, it's the creation of the trope. You know, you have the four crystals, earth, air, fire, water, and you have to go and destroy them all or you know, um, revitalize them to give power back to the earth and hopefully defeat the big evil bad guy at the end. A classic. And um, you go through that, there's there's no real uh, narrative again. Your characters don't have names, there's no real interaction, there's no real characters throughout the game that you can kind of really get into. But again, oh game, I get that. 
it's the fact that, that when you get to the, towards the end, the game does actually pick up a little bit in terms of what it is you have to do. And there's a little bit of time traveling involved, which I thought was quite, you know, fun um, for a game so old that they'd actually go down that route. And like I said, it's not spectacular. It's not riveting. It didn't have me at the edge of my seat at any point in time. Um, but I was impressed with the fact that that's, you know, if you're going to go and make this game that possibly will save or bankrupt the, you know, the company, um, maybe play it safe. And time travel isn't always that safe. But it was it was a fun, a fun narrative, a fun story towards the end. And uh, yeah, surprisingly so. But the con I would say about the game as a whole when it comes to narrative is, and it's to be expected, I suppose, and maybe I shouldn't be too harsh about this, but emotionally, you never leave the same level. I played that game with a start. Emotionally, no part of the game took me. Uh, I just play. I just played the game and finished it. And there was no character I cared for or didn't care for. Um, I was just playing as four random Joes who I could name myself. Um, and I, I named one after myself because, I, you know, shit, why not? Um, but in that respect, it definitely, um, as a person who loves the narrative, it really falls short there. And again, I'm probably expecting too much, it being such an old game. But the idea that I, I couldn't root for anybody, the idea that even the big evil guy at the end, I didn't really care for in any way, shape or form, is definitely a con to the game. And like, you know, the there's no voice acting in a game like this. Of course, it's all just uh, text speech, you know, bubble uh, speech bubbles that come up above the characters to talk about what's going on. But even those are, they're really basic. There's not, there's not a whole lot to them. Um, <clears throat> and I always find it funny when I think about old games like this is in that I, I would believe that if you can put writing on a page, even if it's in a small speech bubble, even if each NBC you talk to, you only have the memory to provide them with two or three different things to say. I think if you're thinking about it, you can bring a world to life even with just that. And I think Five Fantasy One doesn't do that. I don't know if it's because of the translation from Japanese to English, but talking to NPCs, nobody had anybody anything interesting to say, um, and nobody was really kind of you know you were just doing your thing. No one was rooting for you. No one was kind of telling you, oh, we're all you know, the world's falling apart. And we really need your help. It's there was no urgency about the game whatsoever, and uh, for that reason, I would say the narrative as a whole, really let the game down from my perspective. So overall, what what are my thoughts on Final Fantasy 1? I, I platinumed it. I saw every beast, I got all my characters to level 50, and even completed the secret mini-game you get by mashing buttons while sailing on the boat throughout the sea. I saw it all. I definitely enjoyed the experience, but I have to be honest, I think I enjoyed it as a fan of the franchise and a lover of Square Enix as a, as a publisher. The game is old, basic and repetitive at its core but if you if you're like me and the experience of 2d top-down jrpgs are generally always a fun one or a good one then this is a game i think you should add to your library where square enix is going with the final fantasy franchise is amazing currently we've gushed over final fantasy 7 remake consistently on this podcast and there is a reason for that beyond just being fanboys the narrative in this game the gameplay sorry the narrative in final fantasy 7 remake the gameplay the music and overall experience of Final Fantasy VII Remake are like no others I've played to date. Final Fantasy VII Remake should have been Game of the Year back in 2020, and I strongly believe that Rebirth would be a huge contender this year, and I haven't even played it properly yet. It was a real nice experience playing the game that gave birth to all of these things since that I love in the franchise. You know, Rebirth, Remake, 10, 16, 8, which I also platinumed, they're all here because of this game. And it was such a nice experience playing the game. 
that gave birth to all these things and the franchise. It's not outstanding, but more so, uh, it's not an outstanding game, but more so a fascinating one. And one of the few games I've played in my life that have led to a greater appreciation of more modern games I enjoy playing today. More so in the Final Fantasy franchise realm. It's not going to blow anyone away in 2024. But for Final Fantasy fans, for JRPG fans, and for the retro fans out there, it's an easy 10 hours of a video game, of video game appreciation, and I do recommend it if it's your jam. At a 10, it's only going to get a 6. And it's only going to get a 6 because it's, it's, a, it's a fucking old game. It is an old game that does not play well, that is repetitive, that has no storyline, very few job classes, a battle system that is dreary as, but it is the first of its kind and there's so many aspects to it that in the modern day are hard to enjoy. But I think playing it with the context of of how it came about, when it came about, and what they were able to do with it, given the restrictions of that time, it's a very impressive game. But for 2024, it's only going to get a 6 out of 10 for me. I recommend it. 6 out of 10 isn't a bad score in this case, but if I'm going to do a, a retrospective um, you know, of, of Final Fantasy games throughout the series, and I'm, you know, I'm hoping to play 2 and 3 and, and go through them, this one's only, you know, a 6 is as good as it's going to get. But I do recommend it. So that's it. That's the Final Fantasy 1 uh, review, our, our, um, our games corner here. Um, and I do hope that you give it a chance. Uh, if you're into those games, it's, it's, it's definitely worth a look. I think it was on sale. The, the, the package of all these games was on sale, and the individual game itself was on sale for a while there. Back when I picked it up, I'd say it's probably gone now. But if it ever hops up on sale again, check out the store. Give the game a shot. Um, like I said, it's a, especially if you've got a PlayStation portal, which made enhance my entire experience that I didn't have to sit down on my TV in my living room and play this really old pixel game. Playing it on my portal, you know, in my lap, in bed, um, before going to sleep was a real, uh, a real joy, a real a great way to play the game. And I would, if you're not, if you don't have a PlayStation portal, I recommend picking up the Switch, or sorry, I recommend picking up the game for the Switch because the the Pixel Remaster Collection exists on the for the Switch as well. Great way to play it. I think handheld is probably the only way to play these old games. It's it'd be tough otherwise. And um, but yeah, listen. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if you're enjoying the content, I'm going to do a little post show. Uh, we got a Nintendo Direct today. Um, it was a partner's presentation of what's coming in 2024 for Switch. Uh, so I'm going to go through that on the, the post show. If you want access to that, if you want to listen to the extra content that we have here on the Gift of Gaming podcast, check out patreon.com forward slash the Gift of Gaming. And there, for the price of a coffee a month, you'll find loads of extra content. We are we, we, we just finished a Battle Royale uh, kind of season one where we pitted up loads of our favorite characters against each other. We're now going to do a season two where we've selected some of the most famous video game characters and pitted them, and we will pit them against each other. Uh, it's Lots of fun. And if you're looking for extra content, uh, check out patreon.com forward slash to get the gaming for extra stuff there. Um, to the listeners, as always, appreciate that you're here, that you listen to it. Uh, tell a friend. Um, we'd love to love to have uh, anybody and everybody checking out the podcast. But until next time, uh, as always and forever, keep enjoying the gift that is gaming. Peace out.